right, so today, there's nothing quite like the, the love of a mother. And uh, that's one thing our video was about today. I'm going to leave this here. That's what our video was about today. Uh, we videoed a lot of the kids, and we took about three weeks doing video and getting video at Shindigs, and uh, it was precious. We got some little kids and some teenagers, and they're giving some good shout-outs to their moms, so I believe they'll get it fixed here in just a little bit, and we'll be able to watch that. Um, the, if you want to go ahead and just follow along with me on here, there's a few things I'm, I want to want to mention today, man, I tell you, I've, I've known for quite a few weeks that the Lord wanted me to speak on Mother's Day, and um, so I, when I was spending time with him, he kept bringing me back to the beginning, and when I say to the beginning, he was bringing me back to my salvation experience, to my first encounter with the Lord, the, ter- the first time I ever met him, so I want to share some things that are really close to my heart and real personal, um, did you get it? I saw a big fist pump in the air. <laughs> uh, we rejoice with you, Mandy. That's great. Um, so I am. I want to share with you some, some things that are really close to my heart and a personal experience of mine. Um, so I do want to share that. But go ahead and let's, we'll do the video because I'd rather do it. It's really cute and funny. We'll do that at the beginning. I'll share my details in just a minute. My favorite thing to That's that sounded like my daughter. Oh. Okay, okay, it's okay. Okay, we'll work with that, and we'll roll with that in a little bit. In Isaiah 49, verse 15, it says, Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child that she has born? But even if that were possible, I would never forget you. See, I've written your name on the palms of my hands. This verse right here, I remember, it was a Saturday night in 99, in January of 99, and I had gone to church. Um, Kevin actually was the first person to bring me to church. I grew up uh, in a a denomination, and it was really um, all I knew of God was religion, was just rules and following the rules and check mark. We went to church on Sunday. Yes, fist pump, Mandy. Uh, yes, that was all I knew of God. And so I, my, most of my experience was sitting next to my father with his arm around me on the old wooden pew trying to sit still so I didn't make noise. And I would sit up and I would fall asleep just like this. And that was good. I did great. If I was really quiet and didn't squirm, that was a great church service. They told me how good I did. You behaved and you were quiet. Good job. So that was my experience. I didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord growing up. So when I met Kevin, um, he, he was saved, and, and he had a relationship with the Lord, and he actually brought me to church. And so for a couple of weeks, I went to church, and um, his house flooded, and he moved out of town, and we were dating at the time. But I, even though he wasn't there some weekends, I still there was something in me that wanted to go back to that place that he had brought me. So it's very important. Whenever you feel like you should invite somebody to church and you're not sure where they stand with the Lord, do it. Go ahead and invite them. They could be in this same situation I'm talking about. So I, I kept wanting to go, even though I didn't know anybody there, and there was probably about 5,000 people. It was a large church uh, in Baton Rouge called Bethany. And so I, I would go, and I would sit way up in the balcony. I mean, they had, it would be considered the nosebleed seats. It was way up in the top. But there was something about it. When I walked into this place, it was just electric. I mean, I, I could just feel it. I didn't understand what they were doing because people were like, some of them were jumping and some of them had their hands raised down there and 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 one lady she was very excited you could tell but I had no clue what she was excited about and and everybody was welcoming and warm and friendly 
but I had never experienced church like that before, so I was drawn to it. So I remember one Saturday night, I, I went, and um, can you open that for me? Thanks. And he wasn't there, and, and I just decided, it was 45 minutes from my house, I just decided to go. And so I, I went on a Saturday night, and um, he began to talk about the love of God, about how much God loved me. And I just sat there. And, and at this time in my life, I, I was doing what anybody who doesn't have the Lord does. I was, I was entertaining everything of the world. I was, was fully in sin because that's all I knew. I didn't have a relationship with God. And so th- sitting there knowing, and I had already come to a conclusion, my life was not going in the right direction. But sitting there and hearing about this God who loves me and had a plan for my life, my heart just began to open. And and these are some of the things that he taught about that night. He taught about Jeremiah uh, in chapter 1 and then also in chapter 29. It says, he formed me in the womb and he knew me before birth. He set me apart and he has plans to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. I thought, man, God has known about me. He's had a plan for my life since before I was even in my mom's stomach. He had a plan for me, life for my life and it's a plan to prosper me, not to harm me, give me a hope and a future. And then I, Isaiah 49 It talks about, I've written your name in the palm of my hands. When he was crucified on the cross, he has those scars right there. And right there in the palm of his hand with that scar that shows that he took all of my sin with him to the cross. He's got my name right there. And to get that revelation, I remember sitting there that Saturday night when I I had come to the conclusion that I'm going in the wrong direction and I don't know what to do. But he brought me to a church and I feel good when I go there, so I'm going back. And this night he's talking about, there's this guy named God who loves me no matter what no matter what I've done he's got this amazing unconditional love I'm telling you it was it was I just even right now I got chills right now thinking about it but but so preparing for today the Lord took me back to this place I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of bring you along of that night what happened to me that night so another scripture that he had talked about was Zephaniah three seventeen says the Lord your God is with you and he is mighty to save he'll take great delight in you and he'll quiet you with his love and he'll rejoice over you with singing to find out that God who created the heavens and the earth takes delight in me I actually make him happy man that just did something to me on the inside and the second part says he'll quiet you with his love I had a whirlwind of of evil thoughts and and just negative things going on in my life and so when he began to teach about the love of God that's exactly what it did as I'm sitting there in that church service it began to quiet that huge storm in my life the love of God just started to wash over me my eyes became open to who he was and his character because the Bible says that God is love Ephesians 2 4 says but great because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sin So I'm finding out that Saturday night that God has already made a way for me. He knew I was going to be sitting here tonight. He knew that I was going to be receiving the word and listening to how much he loves me. He had this plan, even when I was still a sinner, even last week when I was out at the club, even week before when I was somewhere I didn't need to be, God had a plan for me. And that plan was unfolding that night. It was unfolding. Uh, Just to to step back really quick about the the love of a mother. I I don't want to jump ahead too quick. Um, On the bulletin, it says, The love of a mother for her infant child is the strongest attachment in nature. The love which God has for his people 
is stronger than that which is produced by the most tender ties, which is the love that a mother has for her nursing infant, which is created by any natural relation. So you think about a mom, there's no way she can forget. Her body is telling her, you have got to take care. Everything within me when my children were born is telling me, when I hear their cry, I was always amazed how my mom could always hear when I came home at night, her ears would just like turn on. She would be in a deep sleep snoring and all of a sudden it's like she'd hear a, did you even hear that? She would hear that, and it's like she's wide awake. What? Where are you? Are you okay? What's going on? Uh, do you need anything? I'm right here. It was amazing. I never understood how she could do that. But the minute my children were born, my ears, I got that same sense. I would hear the faintest of cries in the middle of the night. And many times I'd be like, babe, babe, don't you hear that? Huh? What? I don't hear anything. Go back to bed. It's like, I hear them. I hear, I hear her. I got to go check on her, or I got to go check on him. And there was one time when uh, my son fell in the pool, and he was one years old. And my sister-in-law, we were at my mother-in-law's house. My sister immediately, she had children. She immediately jumped up and was in the pool. I was in the house when this happened. But I come out to find her dripping wet in all her clothes and holding Noble, you know. And I'm like, what happened? And she said, he just went by the pool and he just, plop, he just fell right in. And she just jumped up. And I remember thinking, I, I hope that I would respond like that. I had never been in a situation where I had to react that fast, a life or death situation. And there was something in me as a mother that questioned myself. I remember that whole night thinking, God, I, I hope that I would respond like that. Would I freak out? Would I, would I not know what to do? Would I worry because I've got my best clothes on and I don't want to mess up my hair? I hope to you. God, please don't let something like that, some hesitation, hold me from saving my child. I always hoped that. Well, when that, that day came one time, and my daughter was around the pool, and she was one years old, and she was bending over, and she fell right in. Not a sound, not a splash, but I'm sitting there, and I saw it, and all of a sudden, I had no other thought in my brain except get there now. Do this now. Save her now. There was no concern, no care. All that thought, all that stuff that I thought, would I be hesitant? Would I freak out? Would I worry? No, none of that was even in the picture. All of a sudden, I knew exactly, do this, go get her, and save her. And the minute I I go and get her out of the pool and I'm standing up and, and everybody around me is like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Oh, you know, there's kind of some chaos going on around me. I've got her and I'm holding her and she's looking at me with this fear look on her face and I said, I've got you. I've got you. It's going to be okay. You're all right. I've got you. And I think sometimes we get to the edge of the pool as God's children and we fall in. We make a mistake and we mess up. And he reaches in and he pulls us out. And a lot of times we're looking at him like, you hate me, don't you? I'm going to get punished, aren't I? And we're in fear that God is going to reprimand us when all the while he wants to hold us and say, I got you. I got you. You're not drowning. I've got you. I've saved you. I've made a way for you. I've rescued you. It's going to be okay. I'm with you. I've got you. Praise God. If you're at that point right now, if you feel like you've fallen in, you've messed up, you're, you're too far gone, I just encourage you, remember about this story. God's got you. I've got you. You're okay. Everything's going to be all right. He's not mad at you. That's not his character. So God takes great delight in you, and he rejoices over you. That's what it says in Zephaniah. Praise God. 
Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. This man, I don't know if it's just because I'm, I'm a woman, but when I heard this scripture, there was something about this scripture right here because it says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he wanted to do this, and it gave him great pleasure. When I found out that God chose me, he chose me. He chose me. He chose me. And all my sin and all my mess-ups, and all my mistakes, and all my failures, and all the things that I see about me that nobody else sees about me. He still has this amazing, unconditional love, and he chose me. There's something about that whenever I found out that God chose me, and then I started thinking about how whenever I was a kid, I remember being, I went to EDS when I was little, I, I remember being on the playground, and you're standing there, and there's two people who were chosen to be team captains, and they've got the kickball under their arm, and you're thinking, choose me, I want to be on that team, I want to be on your team, and then they pick somebody else, and they're like, you choose me, choose me. And then they pick somebody else, and then you go back over here, and you're like, I know you didn't choose me first, but choose me now. And you want to get chosen. And, and many times, I, I remember being the kid who was not the first or the second or the third, but the last one being chosen for the kickball team. And that just does a little something to you, knowing that they wanted everybody else before they wanted me. And then I started to think about when I was in high school and I tried out for the dance line and I gave it my all. I, I practiced and, and rehearsed and I remember standing there with all these other girls and I, there was judges, a panel of judges. It gets serious when you get in high school. There's a panel of judges and, and I remember looking at them thinking, did they choose me? I really want to do this. Did they choose me? I've really tried. I've put everything into this. And, and I did end up making it. But I remember at that time looking at people's faces who didn't. And I remembered, oh, I remember, and, and oh, it just hurts my heart. I remember. And I remember that from when I was in kickball not getting picked. But, or student body president. I remember trying out for, um, I think it was secretary. I don't even know what the secretary did in student council. But <laughs> I think I ran, you know, and you make flyers and, and you, you – advertise, you know, this is me, vote for me, and, and the student body has to vote on you. Have you ever been there, Hannah? Gotten voted and elected for stuff? You want to get chosen, right? You want them to choose you. I want all of you in here to vote for me, right? Sure. Or what about college? You send applications, but man, you got that one college, and you're just like, oh, I want you to choose me. Take my application and say yes, and you wait for that letter in the mail. And then the, the last thing I was thinking about was when we got married. I remember, <laughs> that's right, I remember standing at the altar, and we didn't have, I didn't have any bridesmaids, and he didn't have any groomsmen. It was literally a 15-minute service. It was short and sweet, exactly how I wanted it. It was beautiful. It, was, it really was. It, that's how I wanted it. It was great. But I remember standing there because it was something we were doing. And I, I remember looking at him as I was saying my vows, and I remember thinking, he chose me. Out of all the other women in the world, he chose me. I remember how special and how good it felt to be chosen. So I want you to know that God chose you. He intentionally chose you. You're not an afterthought. 
His well-thought-out plan for your life was established long ago. His plan that he has for your life, it's not a recent plan. When you discover something about the next part of his plan for your life, it's not recent. It's recent to you. It's a new discovery. It's a revelation. But his plan was established before the foundations of the earth of who you were going to be, what talents and gifts he was going to put inside of you, where you were going to be when you're 20 years old. He already knows that. He already knows that. Man, what a revelation when you, when you find this stuff out and you realize his love. He's got this plan, and it's, it's a good plan, and it's well thought out. It's well thought out because he loves you that much. In John 15, uh, Jesus here is talking to the disciples. This is just another scripture about being chosen. It's not in there, Mandy. Let me get one up real quick. Water break, sorry. John 15, verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. One reason we're even talking about this today is because it is a commandment from Jesus himself to us. Right here he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made it known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. So right here, he's talking to the 12 disciples. This is Jesus, and he's got them together. And he says, look, this way that I have loved you is because God's love is in me, and I'm using that love to love you. Now, this is your commandment. This is what you've got to do. You've got to take that love, and you are commanded to go and love other people in that same way. So we're seeing here that God's love, one reason, we're going to talk about this in just a minute, one reason we have that love is to love humanity, is to love others, to love imperfect people the same way that God loves us. Because I'm not perfect. And that night, I'm sitting there that Saturday night, and I'm remembering, I am so not perfect. And I really know that right now. And I see you still love me. You know how unperfect I am, and you still love me. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. This is that same love that we're supposed to take to, to other people. So right here, when he's talking about if you go into the, the Hebrew um, the Greek actually of choose right here when Jesus said, I did not choose you, or you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. Right here it says, it refers, I love this, I got this out of a uh, commentary, Barnes commentary. It says, it refers here doubtless to his choosing or electing them to be apostles. He says it was not because they chose him to be their teacher and guide, but he designated them to be his apostles. God has designated you to be here at this year in 2013 at whatever your situation is. It's designated. He has designed you and fit you and fastened you to be right where you are. That's what Jesus is telling these disciples right here whenever he's talking about, I've chosen you to do this. And it says, thus, uh, he thus shows them that his love for them was pure and disinterested. And take this for yourself because God's love for you is pure and disinterested. He has no other ulterior motive except to love you. That it was commenced before they had no affection for him. That night I was sitting there and I realized God had this amazing love. Before I even knew that he existed, he already had this amazing love for me. 
that it's not a matter of obligation on his part. God's not obligated to love us. And that therefore it placed them under a more tender and sacred obligation to be entirely devoted to his service. When you discover this love that he has for you, this amazing, unconditional love that's been there since the beginning of time. And, and you realize, it says right there, it placed them under a more tender and sacred obligation. I feel obligated to give my whole life to him. When I find out how much he loves me, when I find out that he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die for me, I feel obligated every day when I wake up. And it's not an obligation that I hate. It's actually an obligation that I love and I can't wait to fulfill. I feel obligated. And I love, there's nothing that pleases and satisfies me more than when I'm serving him, when I'm loving on him. Praise God. Glory to God. It says, in the same way, all who are endowed with talents of any kind and raised to office in the church or in the state, it's not that you've originated with these talents, but God has laid you under obligation. That's so good. And what they have, they owe to his sovereign goodness. And they're bound to devote all to his service. Equally true of all Christians. That was from the Barnes commentary. That's so good. That's, that's equally true for me and you. Equally true for me and you. 1 John 4.16 says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. God lives in him. Praise God. And this was, I remember sitting there, this was a, probably the kicker that night, that Saturday night in, in 99, whenever I found out about this scripture in Romans, it says that nothing, there is nothing that I can do to separate me from the love of God. There's nothing that I have done up until this point, and there's nothing that I could ever do in my future that can separate or cause him not to love me anymore. When I realize that, I'm sitting there and I've come to the realization in myself that I'm not perfect, that I'm messed up, that I'm going down the wrong way. And this man is teaching me about how much God loves me. There's everything in my life right there and my heart is laid bare before God. And I'm, I'm, I feel like I was just sitting there like this, like I'm just sinking into my chair because I'm getting a revelation of how much God loves me. It was, it was just soaking into me that night and that nothing that I could do, nothing that I had ever done. And, I, and right at that moment, the devil is flashing every awful thing I've ever said or ever done. He's throwing that back in my face. And, and right then, the same time, the love of God is countering it, saying, no, there's nothing you have ever done. There's nothing you could ever do that will pull me away from you. My love is that strong for you. Man, it was, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience that night. And I, I think about my heart goes out now that I am a mother. My heart goes out to, I was thinking the other couple of weeks ago when, when that school shooting took place. And I was, I was thinking about what happened and, and about the moms that night. <sighs> what they were having to go through. To know that their son was just robbed was just robbed of their life. But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded me and said, what about that boy's mother? What about that boy's mother who walked into that school? What about his mom? What about his mom? You see your child walking up to the edge of a cliff in their life and about to take that step. And as a parent, when your, when your child comes to the age of accountability and, and, and they get grown, you know, they become teenagers and then are they're an adult, 
There's only so much we can do at that point except pray. But what about that mom? And the mom at the school shootings in Columbine, I actually did some research and I, I studied. You don't hear a lot about the mothers of the murderers. There's a reason for that. They have withdrawn from society and their heart is broken to know that they tried. I read, I read this one thing a mother had written in, into a, a radio station. And she said, when I would go and visit my child in jail, I would go and I would look around at all the other families and the mothers there. And we were a community of mourners because we looked at our children who were in jail and they were not the same people anymore. They were allowed to make their own choices and it would not have been what I have chose. But I refuse to stop loving them. And God looks at us that way. He sees us at the edge of a cliff in our life. Lots of times we come up to that cliff. You know you've done it. I know I have. You can think of different times when you knew you shouldn't have been somewhere and you were there anyway, or God told you to do something and you didn't do it. And God, from God's perspective, he sees you walking up to the edge and he's saying, don't do it. I love you. And sometimes we're able to step back and sometimes we get a revelation of that love and it pulls us back from the edge. We realize God loves us. He has a plan for love for us. He's had this unconditional love since the beginning of time just for you. But then sometimes we step off the edge. We step off the edge and we fall. And he still loves us unconditionally great amazing love he still loves us Romans 5 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit so when you come to realize that that Jesus is your Savior and you ask him into your life and you welcome God in at that same time the Holy Spirit moves in on the inside of you and one of his jobs is to reveal the love of God to you one of his jobs is to help you understand that love so today while I'm talking about this the Holy Spirit is helping you to understand and apply this concept or this this reality of his love to your life to your situation to your family to to your marriage, to whatever it is you're going through. He wants you to take this love and not just hear about it, but actually use it. Because we know that Jesus said, I want you, this is my commandment. You take this love and you love other people. So God has put this love in our hearts for three reasons. Number one, to love him. He's a perfect God and we're imperfect people. The only way that we could think we are even halfway worthy to stretch up our arms and say, God, I love you, is because you have a revelation of how much he loves you no matter what. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Otherwise, the devil comes and he brings those thoughts about how you're unworthy. You shouldn't even be here right now. Don't even try and talk to God. He doesn't want to talk to you. No, 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 when you get a revelation of how much he loves you, it doesn't matter how deep you are in sin. You realize, oh, wait a minute. He loves me. He wants to talk to me. I want to talk to him. Bible says that the goodness of God draws men to repentance. So that Saturday night when I'm sitting there and I'm hearing about the love of God being taught and I'm thinking about my own life, I'm examining my own heart and the Holy Spirit is bringing understanding, showing me how to apply his love to my life. The goodness of God was revealed to me that night and it drew me right down to repentance because I remember he had asked everybody to bow their head and close their eyes and before I knew it, 
I was in the aisle running to the front. And remember, I told you I always sat in the nosebleeds way back up at the top. I was literally running down to the altar, and I broke. I was on my knees with my hands lifted up, uncontrollable. I was just crying. I just felt like a release was coming out of me, like I had tried to carry this thing my whole life, and I had tried to do it my whole life, but now I found out I have a father who is carrying me, who has got my name carved in his hand, who has a great plan, who's with me every step of the way, who takes delight in me. And I just laid it all down physically with my body, but every burden I had been carrying, I just laid it all down and said, I'm here. I need you, and I want you. Man, that was such a good night. So God's given you this love for three reasons. Number one, to love him. Number two, to love yourself. Love yourself. It said, Jesus said, I've given you this commandment so that you can love others the same way I've loved you, so you can love humanity. You can love these imperfect people. Well, guess what? You qualify for that. You're imperfect and you're humanity. So you got to love yourself. When you mess up, don't hold that over your head and don't let the devil come and whisper and say, look what you did yesterday. Look what you said. Look at that fight y'all got in. Look at those words that you said you shouldn't have spoken because he loves to do that. You forgive yourself and you love yourself and say, I'm shaking it off. I'm a child of the king. He loves me. I love myself. I know I need to repent. God asked you to forgive me. I missed it there. And then it's gone. It says he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. And you shouldn't either. And, of course, we know number three was to love others. You got that up there. The one thing I want to I focus, and, and the whole reason I've just said everything I've just said is to get to this point right here. I wanted to bring you here. That first one, loving God. This is the one I, I want to look at for just a minute. God wants to be intimate with you. Sometimes we talk about that and you hear intimacy being taught and people kind of snicker and it's like, what do you mean? God wants to be intimate. How does that even work? I'm about to tell you. Because he wants more than anything to be intimate with you and you to be intimate with him. Intimate means a close, warm, personal relationship. Deeply personal having deep or unusual knowledge of. You know them well. You're intimate. You know, their, you know their thoughts. You can see their face, and you know exactly what they're thinking. You see their mouth. You say something, and you see their mouth, and you're like, oh, I know what you're thinking. I know, I know what that means because you know them well. You have a deep and unusual knowledge of that person. Extensive. I like this one. It says friendly, warm, or informal atmosphere. When you're talking about intimacy, it actually even has something to say about the atmosphere, a personal or informal atmosphere. There's times like today when you need to have a formal setting with God. When you come to church and you wear your tie, high five. Kevin hardly ever wears tie church, but thank you. I love it. It's precious. Thank you. So there's times when you need to have that formal setting with God, but there should definitely be some times when you have an informal setting with God where you have just gotten out of the shower and, and you are upset about something and you're, God, I've got to talk to you right now. My hair's not combed, but it doesn't matter. We're having an intimate moment, an informal setting right now. Or you're in your flip-flops and, and your jeans and you're down by the river and you've just been at a barbecue. You can have an uh, intimate time with God right there. Doesn't always have to be formal. God actually wants to talk to you outside of church, a church setting on Sunday morning. 
And then the last part of the definition said, relating to the essential part or nature of something. God wants you to relate to the essential part of him. And the Bible says God is love. It's what he is. So he wants you to relate to that love that he has. Mm. Psalm 107 uh, verse 9 says he satisfies the longing soul, the hungry soul he fills with good things. Nothing can satisfy me like my God. Nothing. Psalm 18. I'm going to look at it in the... I don't know if you have that or not, Mandy. I want to look at it in the message. My Bible's really falling apart, can you tell? <laughs> I lost the back cover today. But I was going to photocopy it, but I really wanted to I have quite a few, but I wanted to bring this in the message. I wanted you to see this. This is where David is talking to the Lord. Psalm 18. I'm reading now the message. I don't know if you have it. 18. Uh, verse 1 says, I love you, God. You make me strong. Right there, I want to stop for one second. There should be times in your life, and, and daily, I do this daily, when verbally with my mouth I say, God, I love you. I remember the first time I came to church, and there was someone, that, it was my pastor. She was standing up there. Um, pastor Trina was standing up there, and she said, all right, I want everybody to open their mouth and say it. Tell God how much you love him. I'm like, love you, God. Love you. I love you. I love you. I do love you. I never said it out loud before. But then she said, I want you to open your mouth and tell him like you mean it. So I remember saying, I put my face up because I guess I thought God was up there. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. It was kind of weird at first because I had never actually said the words to God. But then the more, because she kept saying, keep saying it. Keep saying I'm a room of, all the staff was in there. I'm a room of people. I think it was Bible school. We were in Bible school at the time. And I started saying, I love you, God. I do. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And before long, because everybody else was saying it too, before long, I'm out there. I love you, God. I love you. I love you. I love you. I got to that point. But I had to work myself up. I had to get past the fact that there's other people around. They're listening to me. No, right now I'm trying to have an intimate moment. She was teaching me to have an intimate moment with my father, to use my words to express to him. So right here, David, he says, I love you, God. You make me strong. And this is in the message uh, remix. If you've never read the message, I highly encourage it. Uh, and then I'm going to skip over to verse 16. David says, but he caught... But me he caught, he reached all the way from the sky to the sea, and he pulled me out of that ocean of hate, the enemy chaos, the void in which I was drowning. They hit me when I was down, but God, you stuck by me. You stood me up in a wide open field, and I stood there saved, surprised to be loved. He got a revelation of the love of God. God made my life complete. When I placed all the pieces before him, he got my act together and gave me a fresh start. Now I'm alert to God's ways. I don't take God for granted. Every day I review the way he works. I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together, and I'm watching every step. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. So right there, boy, that's so good. That's intimate. David's getting intimate with God. You reached down from the sky to the sea, and you pulled me out, and you set me up in a field, and I was surprised. And now you've changed my life. You've rewritten the text. You've rewritten my book, and it's a good one now. Before, it was not a good ending, but now I've got a good ending. You can tell right there that God had an intimate relationship with David. He was intimate with God. And then one other, one other uh, psalm I want to look at real quick. This is Psalm 89. 
so good. This one right here, it says it's written by Ethan. And Ethan was an, was an Ezraite. And I looked up a little information about him. He was a wise man at the time of Solomon. And if you know anything about Solomon, Solomon was the richest man that there ever was or ever will be, King Solomon. He got before God, and God said, what do you want? I'll give you anything. The number one thing he asked for, he said, give me wisdom to lead your people. And God gave him that wisdom, but he gave him everything else too. God was so pleased with his answer. And, and in 1 Kings, it talks about how wise Solomon was, and it references Ethan right there. It says Solomon was wise, and he was wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and wiser than Hermon, and he goes on to name some other people. So we know right there that the author of this psalm was a wise man. And now when we look at his words that say, your love, God, is my song, I'll sing it. I'm forever telling everyone of how faithful you are. I'll never quit telling the story of your love, of how you built the cosmos and you guaranteed everything in it. Your love has always been our life's foundation. Your fidelity has been the roof over my world. You once said, I'll join forces with my chosen leader. I pledge my word to my servant David, saying, everyone descendant, everyone descending from you is guaranteed life, and I'll make you rule as a lasting rock. It's so good. If you go on to read it, I encourage you to read it. It talks about, it says right here, it says, you position the north and the south poles in the mountains of Tabor and Hermon, singing duets to you. With your well-muscled arm, you grip the steel. Nobody trifles with you. The right and justice of the roots are your rule. Love and truth are its fruits. Blessed are the people who know the password of praise, who shout on parade in the bright presence of God. Right there, you can tell he knows God. He knows about the strength of God. He knows about the faithfulness and the justice and about the truth of God. He's got a close, personal relationship. And yet the Bible refers to him as a wise man because he was intimate with God. He had those times. And a lot of times we want to be intimate with another person or we want to be intimate in an activity. We, have, we know closely about this. We plan our vacation down to the nth degree of where we're going to eat night after night. We go on the Food Network channel and we figure out what restaurants are going to be in that town we're in. And we do all this planning of who we can see while we're there and what we can do. We plan to have a good time. We plan to know that place well where we're going. When all the while, when you do that, you're just pleasing your flesh. Maybe pleasing your mind a little bit. You get joy out of doing that. But when you start to worship God from your spirit, because we're made in three parts just like God, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit wants to cry out to God. Your spirit is saying, God, I love you. Your spirit is what gets reborn when you ask Jesus into your life. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And a lot of times the things that we want to get intimate with are the people we want to get intimate with. It's only really pleasing with our mind, our will, and our emotions. So I encourage you to take time. You plan time. Say, God, tonight is all you. Tonight, right now, my spirit wants to worship you. So, God, I'm going to say, I love you. I'm crying out from my spirit. And then you start thinking about him. You start thinking with your soul, with your mind, will, and emotions. God, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about every good thing you've ever done in my life. I'm thinking about the word of God that I heard that says how much you love me. My want to right now, my will, I'm willing myself to spend time with you. I'm willing myself to say, God, I love you. My emotions right now are even thinking about you. And then when you get your body involved and maybe 
you bend a knee or maybe you lift your hands and you say, God, I love you. God, I want to be intimate with you. At that time, all three parts of you, your spirit, your soul, and your body are all together loving on the creator. Nothing in your life will ever be more satisfying than that moment right there when you are able to have an intimate moment with your Father who happens to be the creator of heaven and earth. So I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, make some time. Just like you plan a date. You say, we're going to do that. Uh, on the 23rd, we're having a party at my house. So I need you to take the kids, and I'm sending some invitations out. And I want all the ladies to come over. In the same way, you plan an intimate moment with God. And wherever you got to go to have this intimate moment, you may have to get out of your house. You plan to go stay at a hotel or at a friend's camp or at the park when you know nobody's going to be around. I'm setting this, side, this time aside. I'm sending you an invitation, God. Meet me there. I'm going to the park today at 4. I'm going to be sitting on that bench, and I want to spend time with you. And you love on him with your mouth, with your mind, with your spirit. Because he loves you so much. And the whole reason I said this in, in Revelation, it talks about how Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus, and he says, you've done great. You've done great things for the, for the community. You've done great things for yourself. This is in Revelations 2. But I fault you in one area. You've lost your first love. This is my warning. Return to me. Return to me. So I feel like God's saying that today. And sometimes it's, a, it's easy to just get a little off track. And those people in the church of Ephesus, they were busy with the work of the ministry, loving people. And I got to do, I got to do, I got to do what he said I got to do. I got to go here, I got to go to work, I got to do this for my kids, I got to do this, and then I got to do this for my church. We got to take time to just stop and love on him. So everybody just close your eyes for just a moment. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. This time is for you. This morning has been about you. We honor mothers and, and we are marveled at the amazing love that you've put in mothers to love their children and parents to love their children. But now we know we have a revelation. The same love that you have for us is in us. And we want to love you with that unconditional love. No matter if our situation is good or if our situation is crummy, that means you still love God. If you're mad and upset, you still love God. He'll give you a minute to get over it. You still love him because that's how he loves you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing love you've put in us to love other people that way, the way you love us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. If you've never said, I love you, to God, I encourage you to do it right now. I love you, God. I love you. I love you, Father. I love you. I love you. And the more you say it, the more natural it will become. And tell him he wants to hear it. Just like you love when someone comes up to you and says, I love you. He loves it too when you say it. God, I love you. Hallelujah. Glory to God.